Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. This is the week one episode. We've been waiting for months and months and months. But finally, finally, real football is here. And it's exciting because, look, we've been watching practice, even the preseason. But come on, we all know preseason is just garbage. Nobody really wants to watch it. It's not even in- indicative of what happens during the season. It has really basically, they've, I've never heard anyone who said they found any correlation between ha- how the preseason unfolds and how the regular season turns out. Like literally zero. So let's throw that in the garbage. The real games start now. And let's go over a little uh, what our expectations here for week one. Denver Broncos coming to MetLife Stadium. The day after September 11th, so September 12th will be like a 20-year uh, anniversary of September 11th on Saturday. Surely a lot of commemorating what went down that horrible day. Uh, and then September 12th, fans back in Giants, Giants Stadium, I'm calling it. Whoa, look at that. I'm back in time a little bit. Back at MetLife Stadium for the first time for a real game in two years. Think about that. First time. In two years, and not a great sign. I heard people were getting emails yesterday, and I'm taping this on Thursday morning, saying uh, there's still limited tickets available, which isn't a great sign for the Giants. Obviously, they are not, uh, they haven't been very good lately. That contributes. The prices are exorbitant. We know that. Go to a game, get a hot dog, get a beer, your, your $10, $12, $15 beer. I mean, it's crazy. But that stadium, it's the opener. People get excited. You're zero zero. There's optimism. The Giants are going to have a big year. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. You can think whatever you want. I don't know if some of those last thoughts are realistic, but that's the beauty of week one. Everybody's excited. Hope springs eternal. That's what week one's about. Giants Broncos. And it's not a great Broncos team. Quarterback by Teddy Bridgewater. So they could win this game for sure. If you told me Pat Graham and the Giants defense shut down the Broncos, I could see that. Holding them to like, under 14 points, absolutely. And the Giants winning. So I'll have my prediction later. We'll also talk to middle linebacker and team captain Blake Martinez. That'll be fun. Uh, we'll go over, we'll answer some of your questions in Giants after dark. And then I'll go over what the season's like from a coverage perspective. Because remember, we're still in COVID times. So we're still not complete normalcy. There's not complete normalcy. Not yet. We're not there yet. But plan is for me to be at every game this year. Let's go back to work. And we enjoy it because we're watching football for a living. So, you know, if you don't enjoy that, you're going to be living a pretty miserable existence. So let's talk about week one. Saquon Barkley. I'm sitting here on Thursday morning. Everything I've seen so far kind of had him trending to play. To me, the interesting part here is they then play again on Thursday. So that's where it gets real tricky. You have a guy coming off a serious knee injury. Do you really want him? And I think he's going to play in the opener. Everything's trending that direction. But the dilemma is two games in four days, right? Because you play on Sunday, five days, actually. You play on Sunday. You have off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then you're back on the field in the fourth day there on Thursday to play again. Man, that's tough. Can he take 30 snaps in each game? I don't know. It's an interesting dilemma. That Joe Judge faced. I'm curious to see because he has been adamant, adamant that the Giants are taking a long range 
approach. So long range, and they played it, they slow played this thing the whole way, right? Because think about it, we're 11 months from his surgery. 11 months out, basically, from his surgery. That's slow playing. Now are you going to go throw him in two games in four days? If they do, and that's a big if, I think it'll be in a very, a pretty limited capacity. I shouldn't say very, pretty limited. Like 20, 30 snaps in each game. You know, 10 touches in each game, something like that. So, but just to have Saquon Barkley on the field makes the Giants a better team. I mean, isn't that obvious? That's just stating the obvious, right? Having Kenny Galladay on the field makes the Giants better. Now, Galladay, fully expecting to play, have pretty close to a full workload. He's been out there the last few days, but I will offer this warning. And I've seen this for a while, saw it early in training camp even. Uh, you know, he started slow. I'm going to offer this word of caution because I look at Kenny Galladay and I don't see at practice what I, what you saw from Kenny Galladay when he was in Detroit. Like he doesn't look like he's at full speed right now. He looks a little stiff to me. This is my evaluation. So I think he's coming off a, a hamstring injury. It's very, very, very possible that Kenny Galladay, in my mind, starts the season slowly. Like I haven't seen great explosion from Kenny Galladay so far. Now, does that mean the signing is going to be a disaster? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying he's coming off a hamstring injury. I expect him to play and play plenty, but I don't know if you're going to see the Kenny Galladay that the Giants signed for $18 million in the first few weeks of the season. It might take a little more time for him to get back to the level that everybody wants to see him at. So that's where I stand on Kenny Galladay. Kadarius Tony, on the other hand, looks good to me. Now we're going to see him, I think, in specific packages, uh, a fairly limited workload because he hasn't been out on the field, remember, much at all throughout the spring and summer. So you throw him out there in, in, in the full offense and ask him to run all these plays. And you, you might have Kadarius Tony running wrong routes. And I know they said he did a great job off the field and learning and in the classroom, but it's different. He hasn't worked with Daniel Jones a ton. He hasn't actually gone on the field a lot except for the last two weeks and, you know, worked on running plays. So you don't want to overload this rookie by throwing him out there 30, 40, 50 snaps. No. Instead, narrow it down. And I believe this is what the Giants are going to do. They're going to narrow it down for him. Say, okay, these are the packages where we're going to use you. And we're going to make sure to get you the ball, whether it's on a jet sweep, a little uh, wide receiver bubble screen, an end around, uh, you know, uh, pitch out of the backfield. Those. You know, you know, uh, out of the slot, you know, or, or you know, a, a quick, you know, out pattern where we get the ball in your hands, get you in some space, and try to get him to make plays because he looks like he could be an explosive player, a playmaker, just like he was in college. So, I think that's how what we're going to see from Kadarius Tony. Now, the offensive line is where we still sit here and we say, man, you know, that might not be so good. In fact, it might be bad. You hear people out there saying they're terrible. They're the worst. The worst offensive line I've ever seen. They can't block anybody. And, you know, hard to argue that to a degree. We're just hoping this unit is serviceable. Big questions heading into week one. Nate Solder likely starting at right tackle. I think they're actually going to be running the rotation. You're going to see Nate Solder and Matt Pert play at right tackle. Pert. Pert. Matt Pert. I always get that wrong. So I think you're going to see them both play at some at right tackle in this game. Maybe even some of them sneak in a few reps at left tackle. And the Giants are going to make that determination. Okay. What's our best line combination? 
coming out of this game. And it's not going to be easy because Von Miller's on the other side. Now he he's going to face that right tackle spot plenty. So Nate Solder, who I'm concerned about. I have concerns that Nate Solder, especially after watching that third preseason game, might just be done done. Like we know he struggled since he's been here, but me, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he's just done. But and if that's the case, Von Miller's going to have himself a day, baby. Woo! They better they better use tight ends, running backs, uh, the whole kitchen sink to help on Von Miller. And then that brings us to the quarterback, Daniel Jones, who, to be quite honest, I think I've somehow because of the narrative shifting just that Daniel Jones is terrible, somehow become bullish on Daniel Jones. Now, remember, 24 touchdown passes, 12 interceptions, his rookie year, okay, in 13 starts. 12, 13, or 12? 12 starts. And somehow, we're sitting here two years later. Now a 17-game season, he's the unequivocal starter, and the over-under on touchdown passes for Daniel Jones it's 24. And you're sitting there, you scratch your head. And you're like, what? But that's just where this narrative has gone. It has reached the point where people just think Daniel Jones stinks. He's terrible. He can't play. The reality is Daniel Jones flashed his rookie year. Turned the ball over a lot, but flashed. Right? And you said, oh, my God. People were like, oh, my God, this guy could be pretty good. And there was a lot of optimism heading into last year. So first it starts out. Let's go back a second a little longer, a little further. Starts in the draft where, okay, this guy's a good prospect, you know, but he get, then he gets drafted six overall, and instead of being you know a late first-round pick, he's a bum. I can't believe the Giants took him at six. There's no way he's worth a pick that high. All right? So that's, how the, that's where the narrative. Then he goes. He kills the preseason, if you remember. Comes in, starts strong. Everyone's excited. Daniel Jones looks great. He's going to be amazing. Then it dips. He turns the ball over a lot, but still flashes. Has that Washington game late in the year. Year two, all right, Daniel Jones is going to break out. He's going to have a huge year. He looks like he could be a pretty good quarterback. I think that's where most people stood last year, that he's going to be at least a pretty good quarterback. Then last year is a total disaster. Saquon tears his knee in week two. The Giants, are he's basically playing with nothing around him. His line's bad. He has no explosive weapons. And what happens? He actually improves on the turnover problem, still turns the ball over a chunk still needs to get better at that, but definitely decreases it. And then, but only throws 11 touchdown passes. Doesn't play great, but the supporting cast around him was, oh my God, what was that? You hear my voice there? Woo. <laughs> supporting cast around him, insufficient, not good enough. He didn't play good enough. He knows it. He admitted it. But somehow now we enter year three, they get him some weapons. The offensive line is still a big question mark. Somehow he's awful now. I mean, there's people out there who just think they should get rid of him now. He stinks. He's going to throw 15 interceptions a game. And I'm sitting here saying, I still think Daniel Jones should be. I mean, I don't see a, a top 10 quarterback, but I see a guy who should be a pretty good starter in my mind. You know, I mean, basically in the Eli range. Now, I don't know if he could do what Eli did in the clutch and the, the big spots, but as re in regards to what Eli was on an annual basis, in the regular season, week in, week out. Like, I see Daniel Jones as sort of that level of quarterback. Now, we'll see if he can ultimately have even a tenth of a career that Eli Manning had. But, I mean, I don't think this narrative that he's terrible now, I, I don't know I don't know how it shifted that that far. I mean, that, that's really the, the gist I'm getting from hearing people, uh, you know, nationally talk about him, hearing people, uh, even Giants fans. I saw the Giants put up a post and like Giants fans on their own team's post 
were like, get rid of Daniel Jones. Get him out of here. It's like, what? We even start week one, year three. So I think Daniel Jones is going to have a, a solid year this year. I do. And if you tell me he plays 17 games, I'm 100% taking the over on the 24 touchdown passes. 100%. He did it as a rookie in 12 starts. So give it to me. Give it to me. I love it. I want it. And I think if I had to make my prediction, I think I even did make my prediction that he would throw more than 30 touchdowns this year. That was my bold prediction. But if you told me, like, how many touchdown passes do you think Daniel Jones is going to throw this year? I'd probably come in at, like, 27, somewhere around there. But if you told me he threw over 30 touchdown passes and had a solid year with uh, Saquon providing a threat in the backfield, with Kenny Galladay being a guy who can make contested catches, with Sterling Shepard back in the slot now, which I think is so much better for him, you know, with Darius Slayton now in a number three role, which I think is much better for him, you know, we, they kind of had a shoehorn into him. Think about this. They had a shoehorn Darius Slayton, fifth round pick two years ago into the number one receiver spot last year. And they had no running back threat. So the Giants are in way better shape around him. Aside from that offensive line, huge question mark. I know. But consider me bullish on Daniel Jones. On to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's bring in Blake Martinez, Giants middle linebacker, captain again. Blake, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Year no, two, year that. two, captain. Two years, two two captain years. It's, it's it's pretty good for you, right there. Oh yeah, no, it's it's definitely an honor. It's one of the the biggest honors for me, um, especially to be on a team where it's all of the all the players vote um, and they voted me in. It, it means a lot. Yeah. So hey, how, tell me how that process goes. You you, you go, you guys. You make like a little deal. You go up to guys, you say, hey, Logan, you know, it talked about before. Hey, you know, you vote for me. Maybe I'll vote for you. What's, <laughs> give, give me a rundown. of. I, I'm, I'm sure that's not really the way it goes, but uh, give yeah. me a rundown. What's, what, is the, what is the process? Is it something guys talk about before? No, yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely bribed with uh, Pokemon cards, but that's besides <laughs> that. Uh, no, we. Charizard for a vote. Is that what it is? Exactly. Exactly. So you like my knowledge know nowadays? I wrote a story yeah. on Blake and his Pokemon <laughs> obsession, and I, I kind yeah, of got, got I got it. the gist of it now, at least a little bit. I love it. I love it. Our um, first conversation, yeah. you must have thought I was a complete moron. Like I knew nothing. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's pretty much how like ninety five percent of my conversations go, unless I'm at like Collecticon or some crazy like collector event. So it's fine. Um, but so yeah, tell me about no, the, the, the voter process now that I derailed the conversation completely. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. Totally fine. I love Pokemon, so I can always talk about <laughs> it. But um, no, Coach Judge basically, I think it was uh Monday. He basically in our team meeting was kind of like, Hey guys, um, gave us a sheet of paper. Um, nobody knew it was happening, but he was just like, Hey, give me guys a sheet of paper. Offensive guys can vote for two offensive guys one defense, one special teams, and then um, defense gets two defense, one offense, one special teams. Um, 
And that's kind of how it kind of broke down. And then at that point, everyone voted. And then after practice, he announced it. Uh, we saw that. We were there for that. And so basically, he the first time you heard anything was you're sitting there, you're huddled up after practice, and he starts ripping off the captains? Yep, yep, yep. Wow. All right. Um, so that's kind of interesting. I mean, I wonder, I, I guess it's somewhat at his discretion or the coach's discretion or the front office and is involved maybe a little bit too, where they just they decide where to cut it off. They just look at the votes and say, okay, this guy got enough votes where I guess we'll make it, you know, two defensive captains or one or three or whatever they, you know, come up with in the end. No, yeah, I think uh, I think in the end, I think it ends up being two from each, um, two offense, two defense, two special teams, um, and they kind of go from there. And I think the where the offensive guys get two offensive guys and the defense gets two defensive guys, I think it's just like we're around each other in the meeting rooms on defense more and things like that. So he tried to add more weight to defensive players voting for defense players and offensive players voting for offensive players. Right. So I thought that was pretty oh, that cool. Makes sense, and then right. said, any new guy that didn't like know what to vote or who to vote for, he just told him like, Hey, like don't vote at all. Um, because like, we want to make sure this is just like an actual thing. Like he want, he wanted to like strictly like, Hey, who do you guys want as your captains? Not just like a popularity vote or right. some random guy coming in like, Oh, Blake's cool. So might as well vote for him or whatever it is. Yeah, I know this guy, so I'm voting for him as captain, right? Exactly. If you're new and it's the only guy you know, yeah, I guess, I guess that yeah. makes sense. So, big responsibility. Uh, oh, yeah. you're, you're now the captain of this defense that was a good defense last year. Uh, I think it surprised yep. a lot of people, probably not you guys, I mean, in, inside, but you finished right around, it depends on the metric you want to use, but you were a, pretty much a top 10 defense in most categories. So... Yep. What is the approach you take this year? And like, what do what needs to, what in your mind can take this defense to the next level? Yeah, I think um, obviously a new team, new players all across the board, um, new, like just new mold, I guess, uh, but kind of pick up things from last year that we grew on throughout the end of the season, whether it was communication, understanding the defense, the scheme, um, just all of us playing together as a unit. And I think going into this year and then the, the biggest thing I've noticed with us is just how much fun we have to be out there as an 11, as a group um, on the field and just bringing that into this season. And I think we've done an awesome job and all the new additions, um, Adore Aziz from the draft picks from free agency um, across the board on the defense. It's been another amazing training camp and just having so much fun out there. And I think as long as we can keep doing that and then, I mean, the generic of putting in the work every day, meeting rooms, practice fields, like I think that can allow us to make that big jump in those big plays um, to win games this year. You mentioned uh, Aziz and Adori, you know, two two big additions right there. You look at those two guys as sort of new pieces that can elevate that, you know, those are maybe maybe skill sets you didn't necessarily have last year. No, yeah, definitely. And I think both of them bring, like you said, different skill sets to this defense. Um, and I think different personalities too. I think the way they approach their work um, is obviously different between Aziz and Adori, but they just add Aziz another. seems very quiet. Exactly, okay, exactly. Just... But Aziz is one of the hardest workers I've seen on the team. Um, and he's really? just always to learn, always wanting to get better. 
um, and just puts his head down. Like you said, he's quiet. He puts his head down and just goes to work. And I've seen him improve immensely from OTAs and it's just been awesome to see. Um, and yeah, like I said, excited to see him out there and see all of us out there come Sunday. Yeah. Well, I, I know giants fans will be excited to hear that because they have high hopes for Aziz. Uh, you know what the giants do too? the organization. They obviously, they drafted him in the second round. Uh, so we're getting here. We're at week one. You've been looking at the Broncos. I assume for a while now. True. False. When, yeah. when, oh, when, yeah. did you, when did you start looking at them and what catches your attention? No, I think there's a lot, a lot that catches attention, especially on offense. Um, we started kind of working on them after the last preseason game um, and just diving into different cutups, different tapes, going through practice and stuff. Um, but yeah, like I said, so about two or three weeks up. by now, two or three weeks ago from now. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, like the, the offense has weapons all across the board. Obviously they have a new quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, they got Jerry Judy, they got hammer, they got her Hamler. Um, they got, uh, Sutton. I mean, the list goes on and on. They got Melvin Gordon, no offense. Um, they just got so many weapons to kind of do everything you can possibly do on offense. Um, so that's kind of the one big thing that jumps out and just being able to match up um, across the border with it um, and give different looks to not allow uh, Teddy Bridgewater to do what he wants to do back there, sit back and uh, throw the ball. Right. And that, that seems to be, you know, one of the calling cards for your defensive coordinator showing different looks, uh, you know, being versatile, just, you know, doing different things, dependent opponent, dependent. Uh, so I don't know if you saw it. Did you did you see that there was a story on him that ran the other day about the black oh, yeah. Picasso? Oh, yeah, the black Picasso. I was dying laughing. <laughs> that got a lot of I attention, like, I assume, behind closed doors. Oh yeah, no, we were we were dying laughing. Me and it was me and Logan. I think we were talking to him the other day, and Logan brought it up because he he's the one who said in the. I think he said, yeah, he was the one who said it in the interview. And yeah, we were, <laughs> it was so, so fun. Had you heard it before? Or was this your first? That was the first time. I was like, that is actually golden. That's that's amazing in you all think, different ways. You think it's going to stick? Uh, no, he definitely won't let it stick. Um, <laughs> but we'll definitely keep, uh, keep saying it to him whenever possible. So hopefully knew, it does stick you knew him obviously beforehand right he was your linebackers coach in green bay part of the reason you're probably yeah. here let's let's be quite honest right i mean you okay. had a a defensive uh coordinator guy who was coming in to be the defensive coordinator who who definitely had positive things to say about you so oh, yeah. i'm curious you know him as your linebackers coach you now know yep. him as your defensive coordinator Yep. Does anything surprise you about, you know, what he is as a defensive coordinator or the success that you guys had with him as your defensive coordinator? Um, no, I think when I was with him in Green Bay, it was just a different approach because I think you obviously everyone has a boss and everyone has to listen to what the boss says type of thing. Uh, but his way of making what when I was in Green Bay, his way of making what the boss told him to teach us like easy to understand if that kind of makes sense oh, yeah, was absolutely. what, what kind of made me um, like, so I don't know, gung ho for Pat. Um, and I think it's what allowed me to play 
the way I played my third year. Um, and that's why, once again, like you said, why I'm here when I was looking through free agency and knew Pat was the defense coordinator here. I was like, Hey, this is no brainer. Um, it just makes sense. He makes things so simple to, to play for the people that are out there, but then so hard for the other team to kind of go against. Um, and it's crazy how he does it. Yeah. I mean, that's always a really important thing because Steve Spagnuolo, who is a really, you know, accomplished defensive coordinator. When he ran into trouble, that always seemed what it to be. Things got complicated for guys. And then he always had to simplify it, make it into a way that you can, that guys can easily digest it. And that's essentially how they won that their first Super Bowl in 2007. I think they, the first two weeks, they were terrible. And then he, you know, they went to him and they said, look, we need to, you know, dumb this down in a way. And and that yep. seems to be what Pat does very well for you guys. You guys have a, a complicated defense for the opponent, but a, a simple defense, it seems for you guys to execute. I mean, it's simple is all, all obviously relative there. So, uh, no. Ex- um, and I think the thing you just hit on is actually perfect where the ability for Pat, just same thing as Spagnolia, um, where he listened to his players. And I think Pat is 100% just like full transparency. will like listen to us, understand us, hear us out. Um, if we don't like things, he'll cross them out instantly. Um, and it's just that's big. Super, that is that's, that's I don't think people realize how big that is. Exactly. And, and I assume that has created a, an environment where guys would, you know, go to the wall for him any day of the week because of it. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent. So you mentioned it, though. You come here. You, it was a no brainer for you. You come to New York, though. So what's a what's yep. a, what do you, what do you what's it been like for you to play in New York? I know you didn't get the full experience probably year one, uh, but what's it been like, and wh- what are you expecting? Because you still haven't played a game, a real game, in front of fans in New York, which is kind of crazy to think about at this point. No, hundred percent. I mean, it's been amazing so far. Um, I mean, I love New York. It's growing on me immensely. Uh, I mean, obviously, come from Green Bay, not much to do there. So New York has been a great game changer in that. Um, but you got the most Southern incredible. coaching staff too, with the, you know, the whole oh, Alabama God. connection too. Yeah, exactly. In New York, it's, I find it kind of funny. You're, you're, like, you're about to get- you've already been Northernized. So I, you, you like, don't even, you're way like a low on the totem pole of people who need to be Northernized, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it's the fans have been amazing. Um, anytime I've, been introduced or talked to on social media stuff or anything like that. Obviously you have the trolls every now and then. Um, but I, that's what, like you said, I cannot wait for the first Sunday. I was going to say the first, first game, but for Sunday coming it's up, here. Right, it's here, Blake, it's here. <laughs> it's crazy to be able to have fans out there. Obviously I got a little glimpse of it at fan fest and uh, the preseason game against the Patriots, but I think it's just going to be a whole nother level on Sunday. And you kind of get the goosebumps, the chills um, to be able to have that moment. Cause you hear about New York being an amazing historic franchise, amazing fans. Um, and obviously came from green Bay where obviously there's a great atmosphere there. Um, but I'm just excited to experience uh, the MetLife stadium at full capacity um, and, and kind of experience that whole, whole situation. I'm curious because green Bay is a different beast, right? I mean, it is the smallest city. If you want to call it even a city, almost in the NFL, like you go there, it feels like you're uh, stadiums in the middle of the suburbs. 
So it is it is different than any other team in the NFL. Uh, yep. I'm curious, what what is the biggest difference? What do you see as the biggest difference from going from a, a place like Green Bay to, you know, here, I guess it's not, you know, you're mostly in New Jersey, but it's the New yeah. York market. No, 100%. I think the biggest difference, I would say, is in Green Bay, it's just football. Right. And we're in New York, New Jersey, there's so much other things going on. Like it's still football is still a huge thing, but there's other there there you don't go to like the grocery store and it's like oh my god it's a football player it's like kind of normalized it's like oh okay hey, there's Blake oh there's I don't know like Judge from New York oh there's R J Barrett from the Knicks like that's just like normalized right. but it's still still at a heightened thing just like Green Bay but I'd say that's kind of been the one thing I've noticed uh, around New York. Yeah, I mean, I always say that too because I I worked in Philadelphia for a while, and it's yeah. it's a it's it's a big city still, but it's a it's more provincial. It feels like a smaller city, and so like yeah. the athletes there are the big superstars, right? Like the athletes yeah. in the news, the people on the local news, like those people are like the stars there. You come to New York and L.A. and like the Chicago, like there's you know movie stars, uh, you know. Uh, music stars like and so you on the ecosystem you're you're probably not as high as you know just general joe giants player do you do you get do you get what's what's the rate of you getting noticed in let's say you go to the supermarket yeah it's every once in a while nothing crazy i mean for the most part i mean i'm, I'm gonna be honest i just like amazon whole foods to my house i never really go <laughs> Um, I mean, that is the new age like, version. I should have brought up a exactly. different example. <laughs> uh, but no, like there's been random moments where I'm like, I'm getting out of my car and they're like, oh my God, Blake, like, can we take a picture? Like random things like that. Right. Uh, but I'm, compared to Green Bay, it's like a whole different story because you, you go into the supermarket. level at times, at least here. Oh yeah. You go anywhere in Green Bay. It's like a mad rush. Like most of the time, like they're super polite, but it's like. Oh, it's all the time. Right. And you know, and I, I know as human beings, athletes like to be able to turn it off. Like you like the benefits of it and and, and like the, all that comes with it. And it feels good to, you know, be admired and stuff. But there's times where you just want to go get something at the, you know, Walmart or Walgreens, pop in and out and go home. And, you know, people start coming up to you. It's it's not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing and you're going to complain about it, but everybody likes that normalized living at times for sure. No, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. We're getting towards week one. We're all waiting. Yep. We're seeing, okay, Saquon going to play, right? That's the big, one of the big questions surrounding you guys haven't seen him play since week two last year. You got a chance to play against him in practice. Yep. You know, Joe, yep. Joe judge even made it and said, Hey, Blake, you're going to go against him in drills because like you knew, okay, we, I could be competitive with him, but I also know when I kind of have to back off. So what, what have you seen from him going up against him head to head? No, I mean, uh, I think he's done an awesome job kind of coming back. Obviously I'm not a doctor. I'm just football player in a sense. Um, but going against him, I think, He's still, I mean, always a freak of nature. He could, I don't even know. He could just run on his hands and he'd still probably be faster than everyone. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's, 
he's looked great. Um, obviously going against him has made me a lot better. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited for him whenever it's time for him to be back, uh, ready to go. Everybody on our side that I know will be excited for him when he's uh, ready to go. So that's kind of where everyone's at and we're just waiting for, waiting for it just like uh, you guys are. What, I mean, what, was, has there been a moment or what what have you seen from him that made you be like, oh, okay. Okay. He looks he looks like he's back to me. You know, like is did you see him make a cut or like, you know, just basically hit another gear and you're like, oh wow, okay. You know, I'm this, this is Saquon Barkley here. No, yeah, I think just like random thing. I mean, you first you just see the quads and you're like, all right, the quads are back. We're good to go. Um <laughs> But not, uh, you know, yeah, I've just, had somebody say like there people analyze the pictures of him. They're like his his left quad looks a little bit smaller than the right one right now. Like I swear, I get that all the time for people. I'm like I'm like you never know where that picture came from. I don't know. Do I, I can't. So to you, they're both gigantic. Oh yeah, no, yeah, it's they don't even make sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that was one one telling sign, and then yeah, just his able to move and do things in practice. Um, I mean, it's still freakish. I don't, I don't know. I don't, like, I'm still new to the the Saquon Barkley stuff. Um, I mean, I got to play with that, play against him in a game uh, when I was in Green Bay. But it's just every single thing he does, you're just like, what the hell? At 240 pounds or whatever the hell he weighs, you're just like, this doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, that's why he's Saquon Barkley. That's why. I mean, we're going to be sitting here in 20 years being like, you know, the last running back to be drafted in the top two of the draft was Saquon Barkley. Like that, that's what we're going to be. That's That'll be the conversation in, in 20 years. So. Exactly. I Like, I didn't even realize. I thought he was, like, drafted. Like, I mean, still, I knew he was drafted high. But I thought it was, like, fourth pick. And someone told me the other day. He was like, no, he's picked number two. I was like, what? Yeah. That's, that's just incredible. I mean, it makes sense. They're me questioning it. But it's like, that's still, it's crazy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it, it's been a big hot topic, uh, you know, hot button topic here for years. But well, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole with you. That you don't want to go down there. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, but I will fair. go down this rabbit hole with you. Ready? So, yep. 140 plus tackles, four straight years. The only player in the NFL. Yep. But zero Pro Bowls. Right. I know. We got, we got to get this. We got to fix this somehow. Like, well, what? Oh, yeah. I mean, I understand. I mean, Bobby Wagner. We need him to retire, I think, right, Blake? I mean, he's just Bobby <laughs> Wagner, so he's automatically in, right? Until until yeah. until he's until he's not playing anymore. Is is that yeah? Give me Man, give me yeah. the explanation. Like what 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 do you think? What can we what can we do? What what needs to be done to get Blake Martinez to the Pro Bowl this year? Yeah, I mean, uh for me, I feel like I just gotta continue what I have been doing. Um, but on top of that, I'll probably do some like TikTok dances and like, I don't know, do some, <laughs> I don't know. Had, wasn't that well received for Juju? Juju kind of got in trouble with the TikTok dances. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine uh, Joe. I can't imagine Joe judge taking to oh, yeah, you uh, TikToking on other teams, logos and stuff. Exactly. No, I'm definitely not. <laughs> that was uh, but no, I think for me, it's just uh, continue what I'm doing. And then on top of that, just keep uh, adding to plays like I made in the Patriots game when I made the interception and things like that, that kind Sick of, pick, by the way, that was, that was, yeah. Open, 
opens other people's eyes they're like what i am capable of and i think that's what the like the main reason i came to new york was to be able to play the style of football that i knew i was able to play um like i did last year and i think as i continually show that i think it will start turning people's heads and people start recognizing um the type of player that i am um and then things will kind of fall in line yeah i think uh, we're getting there i think we're getting there but we might have to i might have, we might have to start some kind of comp- campaign so we got to think of like oh yeah you know, you know, what the one, just, the old 140 my, club, like something, well, you know, we'll, we'll rhyme everybody play. votes for me, Pokemon cards, and then we'll see. Hopefully it's like, I'll have Pokemon give me like, I don't know how many votes did like Patrick Mahomes get last year, like a couple million or I don't even know, probably 500 million. So like 500 million Pokemon cards I'll give out for 500 million votes. We're good. We're in. Blake, Blake, if that's, I don't know, I'm, I'm just doing some math here. Let's, let's say it's, Five million votes. Okay, let's be realistic. Five million yeah, votes yeah. of a, a Pokemon card. If we estimate a Pokemon card at fifty cents a card, you're talking about two and a half million dollars. I don't know about that, Blake. That that might okay, maybe I, that might seem a little <laughs> steep to me. We could <laughs> yeah, okay, we could yeah, do sure. we could do like a free grassroots thing. I think you I think you'll be uh, your pocketbook will like it a lot better. Yeah. Go with that. We'll go with that. That's okay. All right. I'll I'll brainstorm. We'll have to come up with some, <laughs> we'll have to come up with something good over the next well, we got a couple months here. We got th- three months. You have to take care of your part. You gotta I think you have to take it to the next level. Let's say oh, yeah. let's say a hundred fifty-five tackles, you know, yep. close to hundred sixty, maybe even. And we I mean, gotta we got get those we gotta get those picks. You gotta get a you gotta get one like that one in the in the preseason because that one was one like you said. That's a highlight one yep. that catches that catches the attention, and then throw yep. in a couple sacks there, maybe a forced fumble. You know, yep. Maybe yep. maybe Tay Crowder could give you the touchdown this year or something. You know, you could have picked yeah, that up. You, if you were there, you would have picked that up and ran that in. There's no oh, doubt in my mind. Yeah. So, all right. Um, no, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to hear. Uh, what, do you, what do you What do you think? Where, where's what, what are you going to add? What are you going to add to that? Uh, no, I think that's basically it. And I think for me, um, it's just doing, I mean, I'm gonna give you the generic answer of the, the classic of if I go out there, do my job, um, make the plays that come to me and we are able to be a winning team this year. I think that's the, that's the number one, uh, kind of component to everything kind of falling in place with all categories. Win Super Bowl, you get noticed then. Um, yeah, being in the playoffs, helped. getting that would help. Yeah. being a winning team, you get more primetime games, you get noticed then. Um, and those types of things. If you're playing good ball as a, as a unit, everyone doing their job, the uh, plays come to you, and you'll once again get noticed then. You're gonna see this season what happens when you win in New York and how you just get uh, you become an, an icon when you have Eli Manning getting his number retired, you have the Yep. 2011 team being honored before a game. You have Michael Strahan's jersey retired. You'll you'll see firsthand what happens if you guys can ultimately become a winner in this city, and uh, you know you become a legend forever, really. And uh, oh yeah, it's worked out all right for Eli and Michael Strahan. I'll tell you that much. Yes, it has, and that's that was another component of me coming here. It was like. Obviously, I was at Green Bay, but to be able to come to New York, I think that's the pinnacle of going out there and playing good football, um, especially out of the linebacker position. You can uh, you can be remembered forever. Yeah. Well, 
Let's see it. We want. We're. we're I, I'm giant fans. Trust me, they're dying to see it. It's been. It's been a rough little run here over the last eight years or so for giant fans. So I think they're ready to jump on board, uh, and they they obviously want to see winning football. So stay healthy, Blake. Have another big yep. season. I will go to the drawing board and come up with something. <laughs> all right. So I, I know it. Joe. I know Joe won't let you say anything. So I will have to take control here and do it for you. Okay. <laughs> deal, deal, deal. All right. So we'll reconvene in like November. All right. All right. I'm all in. right, Blake. I'm in. All right. Have a good, have a good season, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. On to the next one. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Thanks to Blake Martinez there. That was, that was a fun little interview. And now, yes, it's that time where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. Oh, yes, this is the regular season Giants After Dark heading into it. Week one is on the horizon. So we start with Anunnabi Dynasty. He says, what's your personal idea on the Giants ceiling and floor this year? And what would need to take place for both outcomes to happen? Okay. So my ceiling is probably 10 and 7 with this team. Uh, They would need their offensive line to be average, I guess. If they have an average offensive line, they'll be able to make enough plays. Their defense will be good. They get one edge rusher, that one edge rusher to pop. The name I'm hearing, okay? The name I'm hearing is Lorenzo Carter, right? That that people, not that he's going to be a star or a stud, but that Lorenzo Carter is going to come back from that Achilles injury and be a quality player off that edge. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to be watching that closely. And if that happens, I think 10 and 7 is realistic for this team. I do. Daniel Jones takes those steps. I mean, this offense isn't going to be great, and that offensive line isn't going to be great. I'm not, let's, let's not be unrealistic here. They were 31st in the league last year in total offense, in points scored. It's not going to all of a sudden be a top 5'10 offense, especially when they we know that their offensive line has problems. As for floor, man, if that offensive line struggles and they have a couple injuries uh, or Kenny Galladay, you know, it starts slow and – Saquon's not fully back, man. Five wins is is definitely on the table for this team. I, I mean, you could see their defense possibly regressing a bit if they don't get that edge rusher. Um, because it, to be quite honest, I think they probably maxed out last year. That's how unbelievably good they were. So I think somewhere between 11, 11 and five would be sorry, 11, five and 12. I'm saying five and 12 would be an awful season. That's their floor and their their ceiling is is 10 and 7. 17 games keeps screwing me up, by the way. Can't take this. Question number two comes from Mike Sieber. Injuries notwithstanding, is this year's success as simple as it seems? If the O-line plays well, then the team can compete in the NFC. 
My theory is if the O-line plays well, that means Jones will play well. The talent is there on both sides of the ball. Well, first off, let me clarify. If you mean NFC East, yes. I don't think the Giants are NFC contenders, to be quite honest with you. We're talking about conference, even if their offensive line is serviceable. But yes, if their offensive line is competent, I do expect them to compete in the NFC East because if Daniel Jones will look better, Daniel Jones will look better because he has weapons. He has Saquon Barkley. He has Kenny Galladay. He has Kadarius Toney. These are all pieces he did not have last year. So all this will make Daniel Jones look better. But if the offensive line is just a disaster, which, quite frankly, we cannot rule out at this point, which is the problem here, then this team is going to struggle to score points, to move the ball. Remember last year, every five yards was a grind. I mean, every first down was a grind. It just, when you have to do that, it ex- you're expending so much energy, it becomes so difficult. Now, if their offensive line is serviceable, and with those playmakers, all of a sudden, it becomes a lot easier. And you can score points with, you know, when throwing a two-yard pass to Kadarius Tony and have him turning it into a 30-yard game. Throwing the ball up to Kenny Galladay, having him make a big catch downfield. Having Saquon make two guys miss and then go run for 40, 50 yards. They have that ability this year. So I, I do think that as long as that offensive line is okay, they'll compete for the division. I don't think the division is great, but I do think that they're... Look, the likelihood is that one team in the division wins 11, 12, 11 or 12 games. I mean, that's just how it works in the NFL. And one of these teams, I think, will probably win 11 or 12 games, whether it be Washington or Dallas. Just the way the schedule pans out, sometimes you face four backup quarterbacks. Uh, everything goes your way. I mean, you don't have injuries. So I do think there will be a team that does finish better than them, though, and that finishes with 11 or 12 wins. Uh, next question, Giants 8437. Which player is likely to excel this year and which is likely to regress? Well, I would have said excel and like you know progress i was i thought it was going to be andrew thomas but that now after seeing the preseason finale gives you a uh, cause for concern no doubt uh i do think dexter lawrence is going to excel this year i mean he keeps getting better he's a really really good player in the nfl so i i look to him to be you know kind of take it to that next level uh, potentially Pro Bowl caliber type player. Like he's that kind of player to me. Which player is likely to regress? <laughs> I'm not going to say he's going to get worse. I'm just saying his opportunities are probably going to decrease. And we're talking about Darius Slayton a little bit. But just because they have all these weapons around him, he's no longer going to play as prominent a role. Like when they play two wide receivers, I think most of the time, once we get into the real, you know, into into the season a little bit. It's going to be more Shepard and Galladay, whereas Darius Slayton, while still a quality player, is not going to have as many opportunities as he did in the past. So uh, I don't know if regress is definitely, and I know it's not the right word, but um, that's where I'm going to go on that one. Because let's be honest, it's hard to say regress. There, had, there wasn't a ton of guys that had great seasons for the Giants last year. So uh, next question, we got the fighting Joe Judges. Where is that question? Where'd it go? I know what the gist of it was. Oh, here we go. He asks, if you got stuck in line at a bagel shop with Pat Shermer, how would you see that conversation going? Would you ask him about his QB situation? Sure. Sure. It would be a 
a completely amicable, friendly conversation. I had a fine relationship with Pat Shermer. I know people look at these press conferences sometime. They saw Ben McAdoo snappy at me. They saw Pat Shermer get snappy at me. This is just the back and forth that goes with the reporter-coach relationship. I have a pretty good relationship with Pat Shermer. I texted him the other day, wished him good luck, you know, for week one. And I said, and, you know, we said, oh, we hope we get to link up and say hello. I mean, I have, it, it would be a, a completely friendly situation. Now, I don't know if everybody who covers the team could say that. Uh, maybe Pat Shermer doesn't have a great relationship with some people. I, I don't know that. But with me, I would, I would, you know, I would ask him what kind of bagel he's having. Sit down with him. He likes his wine. Have a little glass of wine with Pat Shermer over bagels. He'll, he would do that. Sure. Next question. Qu question number five. The fifth and final question uh, is New York Giants resurgence. What part of the schedule you see as their toughest stretch? Well, I'll tell you what I don't see. I don't. Oops. Started an audio right there. What I don't see is the opening stretch being their toughest stretch because look at that. Go go look at that for a second. They're opening with two games against Teddy Bridgewater, right? And then uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, okay? Then in week three, you got the Atlanta Falcons, not a great team. And then week four at the Saints. Well, I think the Saints are going to be a lot better. So to me, week four, five, and six is kind of tough because you got Saints at Saints at Cowboys, which I think are tough games, and then the Rams. So that's a tough little stretch right there. Post by also not easy. Uh, I think that is their tough. The thing is, the Giants don't have that ridiculous tough stretch that they, you know, you can point out. But to me, it's okay. They get a bye in week 10. Week 11, Monday night in Tampa. Monday night on the road, that stuff. Then they play the Eagles, who they've struggled against for years. They're not supposed to be great this year. But then at Miami, at Chargers. I like Miami and the Chargers both to be decent, not great this year, but probably winning teams. So you have three of those four games on the road against what I think are probably going to be winning teams. Justin Herbert, good quarterback. Tom Brady, obviously good quarterback. And the Eagles squeezed in there in the middle of that game at MetLife. So to me, that late November around Thanksgiving-ish, really, till mid-December, that four-game stretch for me the toughest stretch for the Giants. Otherwise, their schedule's not that bad. It really isn't. I mean, their toughest game is that Monday nighter against Kansas City. And, that, you know, Monday night in Kansas City against Patrick Mahomes. But, I mean, that's surrounded by a game against the Raiders and the Panthers. So, Giants' schedule, pretty favorable. I think, you know, we talked about it with Mike Clay. It was middle of the road. But there are some teams in the NFC East that are going to have an easier schedule because of the way uh, the divisions they play and how everything works out. So, um There'll be teams in the NFC, like I said before, that are going to win games. Somebody is going to win a division with, a, with like 11 wins. Remember, 17-game season, 11 and 6 or something. I'm telling you. I don't think it's going to be the Giants. They do. If they won 11, win 11 games, go 11 and 6, hey, that exceeded my ceiling, for God's sake. Exceeded the ceiling. So I don't really see that happening. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. 
Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. All right, let's close with a little prediction here. We'll do a little Jordan on the beat, and then we'll get out of here and get ready for week one of the NFL season. That's right. Week one of what's now an 18-week season. 18 weeks. Doesn't make any sense to me. Crazy. Anyway, I, I want to pick the Giants in this game. I do. I do. I think they're going to be better than most people believe. I think their offense will be better than most people believe. But... But they didn't play much together in the summer. The offensive line is a huge work in progress. And they're playing a team whose strength is their defense. That worries me. Like, I want to be bullish on Daniel Jones. I want to be bullish on the Giants' offense and say, look, everybody's overreacting. They're going to be better. And I do think they are going to be better than most people believe. But the first two weeks, Denver and Washington, I probably think they'll probably steal one of the games. But it's just hard for me to pick the Giants in this one. I think they're going to have trouble scoring. Denver gets just enough. They get 20 points from Teddy Bridgewater and company. They got enough weapons. Giants pass rush still going to be a little bit problematic to me. Um, so Teddy Bridgewater will have some time to make some throws. Broncos 20, Giants 16. And the, the 16 is really the part here that's going to cost them the game. And it's because that offensive line remains a work in progress because these weapons and these pieces haven't had enough time together. Saquon Barkley, he is likely to return. We talked about that earlier. But even if he does, remember, we're talking about a limited Saquon Barkley. Kadarius Tony, yeah, he's going to play, but we're talking about a guy who's only going to be used probably in specific packages. Like he'll get a handful of touches, but he's not going to be on the field for 30, 40 snaps. Evan Ingram, not on the field. I know you, oh, you're sitting out there. He stinks. You can't catch the ball. Let's be realistic. Evan Ingram is still a guy who's a weapon who could do some damage, who a lot of teams, most teams, would take as their starting tight end. You know, I don't know if Kyle Rudolph can run anymore. I didn't see any huge explosion out of Kyle Rudolph. I don't see a guy in Caden Smith who's going to go out there and consistently make plays. So, yeah, it does hurt to not have Evan Ingram. It does hurt to have Saquon Barkley limited. So the things the, the world is just not lining up perfectly for the Giants here in week one, in my opinion. Week two, I'll probably, let's see how they look. I'll, I'll probably feel a little bit better about them in week two. Probably. Plus, they own Washington. Own Washington. All right, let's get to Jordan on the beat. This is the part of the episode where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, what it's like to work for ESPN, or what it's like to cover the NFL really in general. And what I'm going to tell you, in this segment right now is what it's kind of going to be like covering the NFL in general this year, because we're still in like pandemic mode, right? There's still this Delta variant. It's getting worse in places. There's still restrictions that exist, but the way it's going to work is we're not going to get into the locker room. It doesn't seem like we're going to get into the locker room this year. So when we do interviews, you know, I practice it's, they bring guys outside to you. You request guys. Of course that limits their availability. You don't get everybody you request. Now, the Giants, I'll be honest, they do a pretty good job, especially when you hear other people from covering other teams complain about the, the access that they get. 
of bringing guys out when you request. But, you know, it's not the same as being in the locker room, being able to go and work the locker room. I mean, that to me is one of my, if you, if I had to list the most important things to covering a team, being able to go in the locker room is basically at the top of the list because it's your ability to create those relationships. And when you create those relationships, that's how you're able to get the information. Now we're just, you have to get creative and do them in other ways again this year, because that's not going to happen. It doesn't look like there's going to be any locker room this year. We're not in a, at practice on a week, on a daily basis. And we're not going to be in the locker room after the game either. Again, we'll request players. The team's PR staff will bring players out after the game. Now, when Golden Tate gets in a fight with Jalen Ramsey, we obviously say we need to talk to Golden Tate and somehow Golden Tate never comes out. That just how it worked last year. And I don't see that changing really if in situations like that. Now, technically, every player is supposed to be available to talk after a game. But this really, really cripples that. The no locker room really, really puts puts that in jeopardy. It makes it, it makes it tough. I mean, we'll make the request, but guarantee that that person comes out? No, I don't think so. So that's kind of one of the main limitations now, the plan is for me to travel to all the games this year. Obviously, everything is, you know, contingent on how we do as a society. If uh, COVID breakout breaks out everywhere and it becomes much worse, like, yeah, probably won't travel. But right now, the plan is to travel. Week four is an interesting one because the Giants play in New Orleans. Right now, that game, I believe, still is scheduled for New Orleans because obviously they had their hurricane there and there's damage and their first few games aren't, aren't there. But it appears like week four, they're going to try and get back to New Orleans. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. And then uh, otherwise, I think the Giants play in Dallas. Yeah, we talked that about, about that earlier the next week. So it's possible, you know, they play in Dallas the week before, too, maybe on a Monday night. I think the Cowboys play at home in week four or like that week four game might be in Jacksonville or whatever. Anyway, the plan is for me to travel to every game this year. So this way I can give you the best coverage I can and get as much information than I can. And this way I could share all that information and the insider information I get right here on Breaking Big Blue. That's it for this episode. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. <laughs>